Let's start with Frank. I'd like that to start. <laughs> um, dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for Tuesday nights, Lord. What a blessing they are to each and every one of us. Um, I pray that you just speak whatever you need to speak through me, Lord, um, and that the words and hearts of people that need it tonight. Um, just say pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's get started. So, definitely <coughs> be here tonight. Um, I just, like I said, I love Tuesdays, and it's kind of unreal to be here, um, because there's so much planning that goes into Tuesdays that a lot of people don't realize, um, and I think the Lord is really behind a lot of the decisions that get made, whether we realize it or not, with, like, the songs that are chosen, and the speakers that are chosen for the night, and I say that because I was supposed to speak on this very Tuesday night last year. Um, however, the Saturday before, I was biking on the Swamp Farm Trail, me and Salem, she was running, I was biking, and I was struggling. I don't know what was happening, but I was like, I've done this before, but I really, like, am not having a good time. Um, we get to the Swamp Rabbit Cafe, I order my food, and the next thing I know, I'm being pulled out of a bush. <laughs> because this is what happened. <laughs> so, I fainted that day. Um, I don't know if you can tell, but there's like a huge gash in my lip and I have a cracked tooth. And I was like, this is probably not good to speak on Tuesday night. Um, so with a newly reformed tooth, called a veneer or something that's like right here. It's kind of a little bit lighter than the rest of my teeth if you guys ever want to look. And I have stitches I left and I felt like Mark 12, start verse 28, and Sarah Grace is going to read that for 
here. So, a lot of times in the gospel, so here we are, talk about Jesus. Um, the religious leaders at the time didn't always love Jesus, and they would try to challenge him and trip him up on his knowledge and be like, oh, let's get him to say something wrong. Um, so, I was super embarrassed with him. But, of course, he didn't. But the context of what's happening here is that a religious leader asks what the most important law is, and there's 613 Jewish laws. And they were trying to see what Jesus would say. Um, and he responded back with two statements that sum up the entire law. Um, so let's read that. Actually, I don't know where you went. Yeah. Sure. And if you do verses 28 through 31. Um, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen to Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Um, so if you keep reading, you'll see that Jesus gave his answers. And then the religious leader realized the importance of loving God and loving others. And Jesus says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, which I think means that he was not far from thinking about how God intended the world to be originally. That we are supposed to love God and love our neighbor. And if we think just generally like about the Ten Commandments, like the first four are about loving God, and then the last six are about loving your neighbor or loving other people. So to be in the biblical community, um, we must love our neighbors well. Our neighbors, when I say that, I mean like friends. Um, and our need for community is best demonstrated by the cross. You see, you've got the vertical relationship with God, and out of love that you receive from that, you have the horizontal relationship with people on earth. Um, and that's what I'm talking about today, is how the horizontal, or the vertical relationship has to be established first in order to properly maintain the horizontal relationship. Um, because to claim that we love God while not loving other people well, or treating other people well, is pretty much contradictory. So I say that because when I was in high school, the number one thing I struggled with was friendships. I was just like, man, if I just had like the best friends ever, and they like did all this great stuff for me, and were super nice, and that just like everything would be up right in the world. Like I really wouldn't ask for anything else. Like just the bestest friends in the world was all I needed. But while of course like friends are a good thing, like anytime we idolize a good thing and put that on a pedestal above God, then it becomes like a not good thing. And because friends are human and have sin, they're gonna fail us no matter what. So anytime we put God like savior expectations on other humans, say this is gonna fulfill my deepest desire, our expectations will crumble and we'll be feeling left uh, even empty, em emptier than we were before. So as the years have gone by, obviously friends have come and friends have gone. Um, many have stayed by and crashing down in front of me. Um, because no matter how much we are made for community, that doesn't mean people aren't going to fail us. Like that's just a part of life. And I'm sure all of you have experienced that in some way, shape or form. But we can never expect another person to be God for us, nor can they be our savior. And whenever I kind of realize this, I feel like the Lord is saying to me, like, Jason, am I not enough for you? Like, why do you keep chasing after other people instead of me? And so I kind of keep relearning this lesson that Jesus is enough, 
Um, and Jesus is better. Jesus is better, period. I feel like that's been a huge thing for me at college, that, like, literally Jesus is better than anything, fill in the blank. And so, maybe for you, don't idolize friendships. Maybe you've got that square away. Um, but maybe you idolize that 4.0, for those of you who still have one. Or some other performance level related to your grade. Maybe you idolize a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Or the idea of a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe you idolize your sport and athletic capabilities. Um, and maybe you idolize something totally different. But what happens when you get an A minus or B minus or C minus, uh, whatever you're not satisfied with, or when your relationship or talking stage steadily ends, um, or when you have a season ending injury, and everything that you have been fulfilling you temporarily and that you thought was giving you satisfaction with your life comes crashing down, then what are you left with? Nothing. Except crushed expectations, people that you ignored to get whatever it was you were trying to achieve, and the empty feelings that you began with. This year, um, I've been re reading uh, through the new morning mercies devotional book, which I got from Marty West, which I got out. Um, but the other day, my devotion for the day touched on many of the lessons I learned during the season of time. It said, if God, if love for God isn't the place where you find your rest and you need human relationships too much and you're asking people to do for you what only your Savior can do, you're looking to find your identity and deepest sense of well-being and the acceptance and love of people. And I think that's really true for a lot of us, that we just want acceptance, we want to have approval, so we'll change our personalities just to fit in and feel like we're loved. And it also said that if God is not in his right, his rightful place in my heart and life, guess what answer is his place? The answer, of course, is me. I make my relationships all about me. When we make relationships about ourselves, then we're acting like consumers. We're asking for the other person in the friendship or relationship to fulfill our personal needs instead of looking to see how we can fulfill theirs. How many times have we shown up to a situation with a friend saying, how can I help you? What do you need today? Um, probably not many times. In high school, youth people, the way they said it a lot of times is like, when you walk into a room, do you say, here I am? Or are you like, there you are? Because I know for me, I'm like, here I am. Let's get the party started. Um, but our lives are not about us. Um, first and foremost, we are created to worship God. And then secondly, we're made to love others, um, which is just what we read in Mark. Another passage that demonstrates this is found in Ecclesiastes, which John is going to read for me in a second. Um, and so a little background on that book of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's what's called in the genre of wisdom literature, meaning it's got some good advice in there, even for today. Um, the theme of the book that the author repeats is that all things in life are fleeting. Sometimes I just say meaningless, but the better translation is like fleeting. Things are gone in a second, even when they were just here. Nothing is guaranteed in life except for death, which is pretty bleak outlook on life. But what it also means is that we shouldn't strive after things that we can't control if they're just going to be gone sooner than we realize. Or we shouldn't strive after things that aren't of much value, like if they don't add up to anything and we can't take them with us after we die. Um, and so we should enjoy the gifts that God has given us, and I would argue that friends are a gift from God. Um, so with that, John is going to read chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes, starting in verse 9. <laughs> um, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Although one may 
should be overpowered, two can defend themselves. The cord of three strands is not completely broken. Um, I think this passage is just so clear in that, like, just starts out right out of the gates, like, two are better than one. Like, it is better to have more people around you for multiple reasons, for accountability, for picking the other person up, for just moving through life together, being able to bounce ideas off of each other, whatever reason. Um, can apply to many, many things. And to better us understand the idea of multiples and community, we need to track where it comes from. And so the idea of community actually originates in the idea of the eternity. So we know that God purposely created us for community, and that originates from the idea of eternity. So I wrote a book this summer called Find Your People by Jenny Allen, and she said that God existed in relationship with himself before any of us were here. It's called the Trinity. God is one, and God is three. But the key point is this. For all eternity, God has existed in relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Scripture says that the Son exists to glorify the Father, and that the Father exists to glorify the Son. It says that the Spirit exists to glorify them both. What that means is that they help each other, they promote each other, they serve each other, and they love each other. What's more, this exchange has been going on for all eternity, means God has been relational forever. It means that he created us out of relationship for relationship, and not a relationship that is service level or self-seeking. No, the moment, the relationship he has in mind for us is sacrificial, intimate, and moment-by-moment connection. And so I think all of the descriptions I just read about how the Trinity acts or interacts with each other is how we're supposed to have a relationship, both with God and with other people. We are supposed to be sacrificial, intimate, and moment by moment, so promote other people and help other people and love other people. We see that we are meant to be in relationship with others because that is who God is, and that's included in the idea that God created us in his image. So part of that is being in community with other people. So if we're made for community, then what does that mean on a practical level? Say we have God in the right place in our hearts, then how do we properly love other people? Um, how do we revert from that idea of thinking like my friends are made to help me instead of like we are supposed to help other people as well. Um, and back to that book that I said by Jenny Allen, she talks about some of the happiest places on earth were like really poor third world um, countries. And she said that's because they were interconnected with their families and communities all around them. Their lack of large air conditioned houses um, which didn't have locks or personal water systems created circumstances that led to families and larger communities being more connected with each other. Um, and so as people were in and out of houses, outside together, the filling water jars, um, then they just lacked the feeling of loneliness that I'm sure every single one of us have felt, especially in college, especially in the pandemic, post-pandemic. Um, and I read about these communities in her book, one thing popped into my mind, so while Americans live more private lives, we, as college students, have this four-year opportunity um, to live with and be surrounded with people of our own age with similar and different interests, um, with unlocked doors most of the time, and the sharing of all things, vacuums, hair dryers, milk, you name it. Um, and so we, we here at Furman have been put into this amazing position to experience rich community. I mean, even with like living on campus for four years, like that's not the same for all colleges. And I think that's like a huge opportunity to be in community and meet other people. So how do we make our friendships just go beyond DH lunches and lake walks? How do we 
have the type of friendship that David and Jonathan had in 1 Samuel 18. Um, and before Caroline reads our last passage, let's get some background on who David and Jonathan are. So first we've got David, well known as the yeah, second king of Israel and a man after God's own heart. But before he was king, he was a shepherd, he was the youngest of nine sons. Um, David's older brothers were fighting under the current king of Israel um, right before the passage that we're reading. Um, they're fighting with Saul, the king, against the Philistines. And David went, um, left his shepherd duties to go bring his brothers some snacks while they were fighting. Um, and at the time, the Israelites were having a lot of trouble defeating the Philistines and the really, really tall dude, Goliath. Have you heard of him? Um, and somehow, by trusting the Lord, little David, little shepherd boy David, goes out and fights Goliath and kills him, making the rest of the Philistine army run in fear. Then David, all of a sudden, this little shepherd guy, youngest son, um, he becomes like super popular in Israel. Like this man is bigger than TikTok famous and bigger than Instagram famous. Like he's a household name or a household pet name. I don't know if they were back. But he now lives with King Saul and is anointed as the next king of Israel. So pause there. That's David. Got that. Then we have Jonathan. So Jonathan is King Saul's eldest son. He's heir to the throne for what's supposed to be. And him and David become best buddies as David lives with Saul who's rising promise and become, about to become the next king. Um, and it doesn't say when Jonathan found out that David would be the next king, but we do know that whenever that did happen, Jonathan was still extremely loyal to their friendship. Um, so let's read about it. Caroline is going to read um, chapter 18 of First Samuel, starting in verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. As Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, because he loved him as himself, Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and Um, What I really like about that passage is verse, verse 3, where it says, because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan loved David as much as he loved himself. And like I said, what's crazy about that is that David literally took his position as the next king of Israel, and yet Jonathan was still loyal to that friendship. And as you, if you keep reading through the book, like Saul, Jonathan's dad, like literally tries to kill David multiple times, and Saul is still faithful to the friendship and helps protect him and save his life. Um, and it says that he fully supported David by making a covenant of close friendship with him. And I don't know about you guys, but I've never made a covenant of friendship with a friend before. He gives his princely items, which were the tunic and the sword and the bow and the belt, to David as a sign of their friendship. Not many of us do that today. I mean, how many times have we been loyal to a friendship when a friend gets the starting spot that we were so desperately working for, and then you're just left on the bench? Or how often are you loyal to a friendship when someone gets a leadership position that you really had your set, heart set on? Or fill in the blanks about whatever times a person could have disappointed you. How often are our friendships marked by constancy and commitment and loyalty? And I'm not going to sit here and give you like 10 steps to like figure this like out. But I am going to talk about like how do we go beyond these lunches and lake walks. We have to fully invite people into our lives. Um, even the ugly parts, being vulnerable, being constant, committed, and loyal, even in the hard times. 
Um, that doesn't mean we pour out our love and lives to every single person we encounter. I do not suggest that. But we have to start somewhere. So do you remember literally anything that I've said tonight? Um, it's that if you're feeling lonely, just start talking to God. See how your relationship with Him is going. Um, talk to people here tonight about it. Get that in order and ask Him to bring people in your life for the good times and the bad. And as the worship team comes up, maybe you're sitting here tonight and you realize, like, hey, like, I don't have a relationship with Jesus and I literally have no idea. But maybe you're interested. Maybe you're intrigued. Maybe you're feeling something weighing down on you. And I would probably bet that's something that you haven't addressed in your life. Um, or maybe it's an idol. And I think it kind of sounds crazy to think idol. Um, when I read about that in the Bible, I'm like, how could these people literally like take wood and metal and build a statue, like an Exodus, they make the gold cap, and then literally be like, yeah, this is God. Like, this this is who made the world. This is who controls my life. And I read that, I'm like, that's literally ridiculous. But, like, that's what their culture told us. And I think the actual questions we should be asking is, why do they give those statues ultimate importance? And today, what am I giving ultimate importance in my life? Um, because too many of us are creating items of wood and metal and then worshiping them. And maybe they're not physical. They're probably what's our minds first think of, like, in a quiet moment. The things we most often want to talk to think about. The things that you're like, sit down at DH lunch, and you're like, let me tell you, this is happening right now. Um, what takes up the most space in your brain? What is your mind constantly drawn to? Is it that guy or gal, gal that you think is super cute? Is it, when is my next grad school application come in? What am I going to do with my life? What is my major going to be? Are you replaying the awesome sports play that you have in your mind forever and ever? Are you trying to hit a weight? Are you constantly checking about how your fantasy football team is doing? Or are you just trying to hit one can Instagram? Um, and are you thinking, if I just get this one thing, like I know I'll be satisfied and I'll never ask for anything. And then you hit that and you're like, actually, I want more. Um, and I don't know what that thing is for you. You guys know what it is in your mind. But I can tell you that we each make idols of our own and we proceed to worship them, just like the people did in the Old Testament. We give things importance. We give them God-like importance when they don't deserve it. Um, and like Lakeley said last week, we all need to repent and change our thinking patterns. And we have the perfect friend waiting with arms stretched up wide, just waiting for us. Like Jonathan and David, Jesus will love you as he loved himself. He already does. Um, and he displayed his love on a cross when he died for you. Um, he gave his life in place of yours um, so that we could each be redeemed from the reality that is our son. Um, and then three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death because he's God. And he's where our mind section should be at. Um, he should be what we're thinking about. And I know that I'm guilty of not thinking about him all day long. Um, and that's what we're going to sing about tonight is building our lives on God. Um, so I'm going to let the worship team take it from here. But if you don't know who Jesus is, um, just start talking to him. Or someone in here, they may have an 18 shirt on, maybe they don't. Um, and I promise that you will not.